Welcome to Broadway World Some Like It Pop Podcast. I am Matt Timonini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic. And as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and resident hip-hop head, Jennifer McHugh. <laughs> Jen, what is shaking in the left coast hizzy? Um, how much money could I give you to never say that again? Uh, probably wouldn't take much. You can follow Jen on Twitter at EpineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at BWWMatt, that's B-W-W-M-A-T-T. And you can read us both across various Broadway World sites. Not only can you find all episodes of Some Like It Pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So, please, go to one or all of the apps and subscribe so that you can get every episode of Some Like It Pop as soon as it is available. Then, tell your friends and family about how much the show has changed your life and get them to subscribe as well. Originally, we had planned on making this episode all about the Oscars, but since there is so much that's been going on in the world of pop culture, we decided to do a regular episode, which is this, and we'll release a special Oscars episode on Friday, so it's kind of a double Some Like It Pop week, so you're welcome. On this episode, we're going to take a look at last week's Grammy Awards, including the historic performance by the cast of Hamilton. We will also discuss some upcoming and recently released movies and TV shows as well. Now... Before we get into that, Jen, we are both in a fairly small segment of the theater-going population in the fact that we both love theater, but we also love sports. You, however, add on another layer of peculiarity by also being a devoted hip-hop fan. So tell me, are you more Biggie or Tupac? Well, I think I started off as more Biggie because I grew up in the East, and I wasn't even really aware of a West Coast scene until I went to college and The Chronic came out. That's how sheltered life was in Pennsylvania. Um, so I've grown to love Tupac over the years, but I still hold deep, deep respect for Biggie. Clearly, you know, it's not just those two choices anymore. I know that you're not a huge hip hop fan, but I know you know at least that, right? Yeah, yes, I understand okay. that both of them are at least air quotes dead. So uh, yes. I, I know there are more people making hip hop music than just them. Yes. Okay, good. Well, then I will... Um, take the cop-out choice and say both seems seems about right for you um <laughs> speaking of hip-hop we are gonna start off the show with uh, a look at the grammy awards that happened this past week now as you said i don't listen to hip-hop but i really don't listen to any modern music um anyone who knows me knows that i'm not the target audience for the for the grammys i don't think i've bought an album for a modern non-theater artist in many many years my satellite radio is pretty much tuned to Show tunes, ESPN radio, and political talk. Oh, and the uh, the uh, the Billy Joel channel that they've got running is also made it into my top five. So what I know about current. So you're a 75 year old man, just to clarify. Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I don't know about 75. Yeah. I mean, Billy Joel would put me like in the fifth, in my 50s, maybe. Yeah. Eh, whatever. Okay, so what I know about pop music, I kind of just learned through pop culture osmosis, but Jen, you kind of know the the modern music world more than I do. Based on your years of fandom, Jen, have you ever seen a more powerful 15 to 20 minutes of hip-hop on such a grand stage like the Grammys as the back-to-back-to-back Hamilton, Kendrick Lamar, Hamilton acceptance speech that we saw on Monday? No, and those were honestly the only 15 minutes of that broadcast that were worth watching. And thank God they were back to back because I can't imagine sitting through the rest of it. Um, it was it was remarkable. And like you said, I'm one of such a few that are obsessed with theater and hip hop. So it was just like Christmas morning. Yeah. Now, I don't like like you said, I don't know a whole lot about Kendrick Lamar. I know the name and I know he is incredibly respected for being not just a great performer, not just for being a great rapper, but for being a great artist as well. So tell me, explain to a, a hip hop neophyte, what makes Kendrick Lamar different than so many other rappers, whether it's in his content or his performance style? Well, I don't, did you watch his performance? Yeah, yeah, no, I saw it. I watched, yeah, I watched all the performances okay. at the Grammys. So as you can see, he's, the real deal. Um, I, I saw a lot of tweets that said this, and I have to agree that Kendrick is what Kanye wants to be. <laughs> and he's very, very skilled. He's very talented. And he's also like putting out a message that's not always comfortable, as you could see with the yeah. Grammy performance, but he is respected. Whereas when someone like Kanye puts the message out, no one listens because he's crazy. So Kendrick is very, very respected. He's young, too. hes I don't think he's more than 25 or 26 years old. Really? I didn't know that. But he's a Compton native, and he gives back to that community a lot. 
And so he is revered there and out here. And I think he's really starting to gain the respect he deserves. And I can't even talk about how shameful it was that he lost album of the year to that other person. (laughs) We'll talk about that other person here shortly. But so Kendrick Lamar gave this great performance that started out um, in chains and basically like a chain gang in a prison and then uh, kind of morphed into a little bit of a rave and then into maybe some African tribal uh, uh, dance type stuff that was really, really cool. But it was sandwiched by the historic Hamilton performance, which was only the eighth Broadway show to ever perform uh, on the Grammys and the first to do it via satellite from their actual theater. Uh, and then after Kendrick Lamar, they did the award for best uh, theater cast recording, which Hamilton shocking won. And Lin-Manuel Miranda gave a, as he often does, a hip hop acceptance speech. So Jen, as someone who you, as we've said, you are obsessed with that show. You live and breathe that show. What did seeing that opening number on TV from the stage at the St. James, what did that mean to you? And what do you think it meant to the greater pop culture music world that might not know really what Hamilton's all about? Well, I feel like, and granted, I follow everybody on Twitter. So everyone was saying backstage that the energy in the theater was electric. Stephen Colbert was there to pump up the crowd. Everyone was excited. And like you said, this does not happen very often. And then when they go and perform and all these people in the audience are like, what are we watching? Because they're watching the Grammys, so they're not used to seeing people actually sing. And just seeing (laughs) people perform like that and come alive in a way that, I don't know, the Grammys aren't theatrical. It's a a giant concert where they give out awards every once in a while. So I was so happy that they got the exposure, not that they need it, but that (laughs) the world of theater can kind of infiltrate another world and be like, yeah, we're doing good stuff here too. And um, just to just to see everybody else kind of latch on to like, oh, is that what you've been talking about? Literal quote from co-workers this week. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been talking about. And I heard that one of the top Google searches after the Grammys was who is Alexander Hamilton, which I have mixed feelings about. But still, it's provoking a conversation, which is all Lin-Manuel ever wants to do. So I was so excited. Yeah, and and like you said, the Google search, who is Alexander Hamilton, spiked 400% after the Grammy performance. So, yeah, I guess good for Broadway, bad for social studies classes around America. Yeah, it was easy to feel a little bit elitist after that. Like, yeah, I've been talking about this for six months, so maybe you should jump on board. I don't know. (laughs) Not that you're going to rub that at anybody's face or anything. No, that's not my style. No, of course not. Well, you mentioned that other person, that that artist, quote unquote, who will remain nameless here for a few more minutes. But as you said, the Grammys are essentially a TV show. They're a concert. Very few of the actual Grammy Awards are presented during the broadcast. So I I get why there's a lot of performances. It's about music. So they're celebrating music. But I, I felt like we were inundated this year even more than normal by people who had no business performing on the Grammys, whether that's because they aren't award-level musicians or they just can't perform live, so they shouldn't be performing live. Um, I do want to start out by saying, obviously, Adele did not have the best performance of her career, uh, be it because of technical issues or because she just had a bad day, but obviously she's one of the best vocalists in the world, so I'm, I think everybody is wholeheartedly forgiving her for something that wasn't her best performance. But so I'm not including her in this junk, but there were some really, really weird and bad performances on the Grammys, Jen. Um, And we can talk about some of the good ones if you want. There's there were some of those as well. But there were some strange like, what is Justin Bieber doing at the Grammys? Who are the Hollywood vampires? Why is Gwen Stefani (laughs) lip syncing? to a music video I, I i don't i just i just don't understand what happened on monday night yeah well i something you said before i am not a pop music fan at all i i like lady gaga because she's a vocalist and she's really proven herself over the past few years but i don't follow pop music the closest thing for the grammys i'd be interested in is well what used to be classified as alternative but now we can call modern rock because that's what i listen to mostly out here but it's it's such a wide variety, like array of of music that I think they lose their way, and it's just so odd. And you're right; it was all about tributes, and it was all about weird performers coming together and singing songs that make no sense. And 
I just don't think they know what they're doing. Well, I mean, I think the tributes were a product of the fact that there were some really monumental stars that passed away this year. I mean, from obviously you mentioned Lady Gaga with a David Bowie tribute, which we can talk about. Uh, Glenn Fry from the Eagles. And I mean, they didn't even really do much for Natalie Cole, which I mean, she's a nine time Grammy winner. How can she not be represented more than she was? So I guess I understand that. It's just kind of the happenstance of how many people passed away this year. But and I and I love how the Grammys have always put weird combinations together with Elton John and Eminem. I mean, that was great. But like, let, let's go with the Hollywood vampires. How does a band with Johnny Depp, Alice Cooper, Joe Perry, and two other people who I have no idea who they are, how do they get to perform on the Grammys? Like, I get it. It's Johnny Depp and Alice Cooper and Joe Perry. Those are like big names. But how do they get one of the spots to perform? I mean, that's that seems ludicrous to me. Were they the ones who filled in when Rihanna decided she couldn't perform because of vocal issues? I mean, that's who are they? Why? Now they're doing a tour. I just I, I was frustrated by that. Yeah, I think that's just one example. You brought up um, Justin Bieber, which I mean, nobody can deny he has a following. But sure, if it's a show about music, like, why is he there? If it's a show about dancing, fine, get up there and dance for a while. But are we really like following him for his vocal talent? <laughs> I don't mean to sound catty, but please. <laughs> well, speaking of vocal talent, you did mention Lady Gaga, who I, I'm not necessarily a fan. I don't dislike her. I appreciate the fact that she is a supporter of, of the arts, but like I said, I just I don't listen to modern music. She did this tribute to David Bowie, and where she did a, a medley of little snippets of a lot of songs, and a lot of people were kind of upset that there were so many songs in there, and you didn't really get to hear a lot of any of the bigger ones. Now, I, I don't really mind the, the arrangement and the selections, just because David Bowie had such a massive career. I mean, how do you encapsulate what he did in just a few minutes? So I, I don't really mind the fact that she just little snippets did little snippets of a bunch of songs. What I do mind was the fact that she seemed to be trying to do a really weird David Bowie impression and not like the makeup and the dress and the hair. And that was totally fine. But she had like this weird British accent that seemed in kind of offensive because it was so weird. Like if Lady Gaga is doing the Bowie tribute, just let Lady Gaga sing Bowie songs. Like I'm totally fine with that. But it seemed like she was trying to do this. I don't know. British affectation that, was really distracting. Did you hear that too? Or was it just me? No, I did hear that. And I, and I, I really do wish she had just sat down at the piano and and sang a song because that's where she shines. And I know she's kind of evolving from that character where she's strange and she tries all these different things, but she's over the past years really evolved into a respected singer. And so that's where she's at now. I'm sure on the Oscars, she's going to sit down and perform, you know, that's what she has to do. So why she didn't do that for Bowie, I don't understand, because I think that that would have been the one of the best tributes of the night if she had just done that. Well, I, the, the, the one thing I'll say on the other side of that is that it seemed like a lot of these songs on the on the Grammys, for some reason, like we decided we were only doing slow songs this year. And she was one of the few that did something up-tempo. And obviously we also throw in Kendrick Lamar and Hamilton, which maybe that's why they shined so much, is because they were upbeat and energetic while everything else was so slow and depressing. But... So I don't mind the energy. It just I, I wish she would have been Lady Gaga rather than trying to make us think that she was Bowie reincarnated. But the last one I do want to talk about, and I'm going to mention her name, so I apologize, Jen, uh, is Taylor Swift, who opened the Grammys with some song that I don't know what it is and I don't care. Clearly, there was nothing even approaching live singing from Taylor Swift in that number. Now, I don't begrudge Taylor Swift her fame. I think she's marketed herself great, and I and I think that she's a fairly decent songwriter, but I am pretty confident in saying that over the decade of her career, she has proven that she cannot sing live. I think she's tried really hard to improve, and I think she has improved, but the young lady can just not sing live, and so I don't understand why they would have her open the show clearly lip-syncing and it just started off, I think, on a bad foot, and I get her appeal, like you said, with Justin Bieber. She's hugely popular and and obviously she won which of an album of the year i can never tell remember the difference between album and record of the year but so she's a she's a multi-grammy winner even on monday night but when are we going to stop allowing artists to get away with lip syncing or just not being good live and then celebrating that and just ignoring it i just don't get it agreed and especially after that kendrick lamar performance where he stopped the show I mean, people were on their feet going nuts for it. And then she gets up and wins an album of the year. Like, well, I make no secret of my distaste for her, but (laughs) for him to lose that 
especially to her, it it made me a little bit crazy. Record of the year was Uptown Funk, okay. <clears throat> which I, I can't argue with because it was. It was the record of the year, love it or hate it. That was the song of the year. Record. Yeah, I, I can never understand what song, record, album. I don't understand the differences, but record is lo- um, record goes to the artist, song goes to the writers, and album is the entire album. Okay, well, I You're do welcome. love me. Thank you. I I do I do love me some uptown funk, so uh, I I did not hate that one. But I just I I think when the when you look back at this Grammys, the highlights, I think, and it's not just you and me who have a theater background and then you who has a love for hip hop. I, I think it's pretty much been universally said that Kendrick Lamar and Hamilton were the highlights. So I hope that they look at what that is, that not only was it high energy, not only was it incredibly powerful live, but it was diverse. It was something outside the box. And I, and I hope that they realize that that 30 minute segment that 9.30 to 10 o'clock East Coast segment that included the Hamilton performance, Kendrick Lamar, uh, and then the Hamilton win, and then some other stuff, even going into the beginning of the Adele segment, that was the second highest rated half an hour of the evening behind the half an hour before it, which I feel like was a ton of Hamilton people waiting to see Hamilton perform. So I hope they realize that and give us some more of that. There were some other things in there. The Lionel Richie tribute, I... I was okay with about half of the performers. Like I thought John Legend, I think John Legend's great all the time. I thought Demi Lovato did a good job. Megan Trainer, Luke Bryan, Tyrese. I forgot he was a musician at one point, I guess, <laughs> maybe. Like I thought he was the guy from MTV and Fast and the Furious. But, you know, so overall, I think the, the Grammys are just not something that speaks to me. And maybe it's because I'm a 75-year-old man, as Jen said, but... If nothing else, we had a historic night for Broadway and and for you for hip hop as well. I'm the biggest hypocrite in 2015. Once I finish this, if you listen, then sure you will agree. Been feeling this way since I was 16. Come to my senses. You never liked this anyway. Pump your friendship. I meant it. I'm African American. I'm African. I'm black. We're gonna move our attention from music to movies which is somewhere where I think we're both a little more comfortable. On our last full episode, I reviewed Deadpool, and I think it's safe to say that I enjoyed the film. <laughs> my, ba- my basic review was that while the plot was pretty standard superhero origin story fair, that it was the funniest, most profane superhero film that I'd ever seen, and I believe I said that I don't ever want to see another superhero movie that doesn't have Deadpool in it. Since then, Jen has seen the film. She has kept her thoughts private. So, Jen, I'm dying to know if you agree with me or if you are a humorless, entertainmently bankrupt shell of a moviegoer. Well, first of all, I think you forget that I have a more warped sense of humor than you do. So that's unfounded. Second, I have to agree with you that it was definitely in the top five uh, superhero movies of all time. And I really enjoy that there's a petition going around to have Deadpool, not Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool host Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it was fantastic from beginning. I, I was in at the opening credits. Yeah, that's the funny. I don't know if I said this on, on air, but that's the funniest credits I've opening credits I've ever seen. You knew from the credits exactly what movie you were watching. And at that point, you were either in or, not, in or out. But Ryan Reynolds also unbelievably made this guy human, even though he's mutating into a non-human, and that you really, really felt for him. Um, he, he was actually really sympathetic, and even through all the crassness and, and the sarcasm, you really, really wanted to win for him. So, yeah, I enjoyed every second of it. So I hate to have to agree with you, but it was fantastic. Well, it's not just agreeing with me. You're pretty much agreeing with everybody who's seen the movie. It's already – we're taping this on Saturday uh, the 20th, so it's only been open for like nine, eight, nine days, and it's already made $350 million worldwide. It was only projected to make 60 in its opening weekend, and it made 260 So it, this is a movie that people are really enjoying, and like you said, they've started a petition to have Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool host Saturday Night Live. I can't imagine that happening, but God, I would love it if it did. And he responded to it today as Deadpool. Oh, did he? So, oh, what did he say? I didn't hear. Uh, it was some sort of a parody of the Kanye backstage rant about all the <laughs> things that he's better than and why he should be the host. 
I would love it. I would think that would be great. And and they've already said there's going to be a sequel, which I don't think anybody is surprised about because Sony or 20th Century Fox needed a Marvel win after the disaster that was Fantastic Four. So I think they will ride this one and Wolverine. I think they're going to do another one of those and, and X-Men and, and the new Spider-Man. They're going to ride those as, as long as they can before those rights revert back to uh, to Disney at some point in the future. Okay, in addition to Jensing Deadpool, since our last episode, I have also seen a handful of movies. One that was considerably lower than my expectations, one that was pretty much exactly what I expected, and one that exceeded my already high expectations. Jen, which one do you want first? Um, well, let's get the uh, pessimistic one over with. Okay, the one that was below my expectations was a new horror film called The Witch, which is now open. It is a, a horror film set in New England in the 1600s. Uh, in, the, in the story, a conservative religious family is effectively exiled from their New England settlement because they don't believe that the rest of the, of the citizens there are religious enough. They are then forced to live out in the wilderness on their own and eventually fall victim uh, to a witch who lives in the nearby woods. Um, first off, it, it looks great. It's beautifully shot. They shot up in, in Ontario, I believe, and it's really, really stark. It's it's in the cold time of the year, so it's it's very gray and dim, and it's, it's really a great-looking movie. Some of the performances were great. Anya Taylor-Joy, who is the lead, she plays the family's daughter, she's the main character, was really, really compelling, really, really good. But the rest of the movie was was really a mess for me. It's gotten some great reviews, so maybe I'm missing something. But it just seemed like it didn't really know what it wanted to say at times. Parts of it were were kind of anti-religion. Don't put your faith too much in religion. Some were kind of calling out the misogynistic society, not only of 1600s New England, but also modern day. Then others were were kind of about, you know, not respecting the land. Um, And just a bunch of other horror tropes got regurgitated even you know a set of young twins i mean it's just it, it just was very kind of trite to me and didn't really have much of a say uh it didn't have much to say and to be honest with you i i can't really tell you what happened in it uh it's not that i'm not i'm, I'm trying not to spoil it it's just i don't really know it's not very clear and i'm fine with horror movies that are ambiguous just not because they don't know what they're actually saying. So it was creepy. It was fairly suspenseful. It was a slow burn, but I was ultimately disappointed. So it <laughs> had, slow burn. Ah, uh, witches, right? On the, <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you know, I was disappointed. I honestly have never even heard of that movie. I mean, I don't oh, watch really? horror movies and tune out as soon as there's a preview for them. But I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's one that has gotten. A, I don't. I'm not a huge horror movie fan either. But when I got the screening invite. Um, it had already been screened at some festivals and stuff and got great reviews. It's got a great review, uh, a, a great freshometer ranking on Rotten Tomatoes. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go check this out. I don't read reviews before I go to go to screenings that I'm going to write about, but if I don't know what it is, I'll see what other people have said, at least, uh, in the headlines and stuff. But I was disappointed. It, it's too bad because I, I think we're in need for something that's a little boundary breaking when it comes to that genre. So, okay, so we've got the disappointment out of the way. Why don't we stick to the one that was as expected, and that one is Zoolander 2. It is idiotic, it's stupid, it is base in the least common denominator, and it is exactly what I wanted it to be. It was funny. It's not as good as the first one, but it's Zoolander 2. It's about stupid people doing stupid stuff and saying stupid things, and if you enjoyed the first one, you're probably going to enjoy the second one. The story's not as good. It's kind of trite at this point, 15 years later, but I enjoyed it. I laughed. You know, what do you want? It's Zoolander 2. It's a bunch of, you know, stupid models. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of tired of people really uh, saying, oh, it's just so stupid. I'm like, what, what are you expecting when you buy a ticket for that movie? Like, if it makes me laugh and it's stupid, then I think it's a win. Yeah. If you saw Zoolander and expected Zoolander 2 to be some deep commentary on the state of male models, you're you're an idiot. It's it's Zoolander. It's Ben Stiller. It's Will Ferrell. What do you want? You know, it was good because I think a lot of the pretty much everybody from the original cast was back in one way or another. Some cameos, some big roles. And there was a crap ton of cameos in there from small things to Kiefer. Man, Kiefer Sutherland is really really funny in this movie and i don't want to kind of spoil it but let's just say that he is a part of a very 
unusual group uh, that is related to uh, re- related to Owen Wilson's Hans- uh, Hansel. So um, he he talked about it on on Seth Meyers the other okay. night. So I don't think so. It's yeah, a secret. He, uh, Kiefer is part of. I, I they just call it the orgy. Uh, it is a that's the name in the movie. <laughs> Hansel is part of an an orgy that lives out in the desert. Everything from sprites to sumo wrestlers. It's just a big group of one loving. Uh, I don't know what I don't know how to describe. It. I you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So yeah, so it, it is what it is. Kiefer Sutherland's great in everything. Um, and this was not what I expected. All right, the last one that I've seen that was a, a exceeded my expectations is a is a movie called Eddie the Eagle. It is a true story about Eddie Edwards, who, despite having never ski jumped in his life, decided that he was going to train for the British Olympic ski jumping team at the 1988 Olympics. It stars uh, Taron Egerton, who was in uh, the Kingsman Secret Service movie and Legend last year. His coach is played by an unknown newcomer named Hugh Jackman. Have you ever heard of him, Jen? No. Is he a newcomer from England? He's from Australia. Oh. I think he's got a good career. Uh, ahead of him if he uh, if he starts working out he's a little out of shape um, but basically Eddie the Eagle is Rudy Cool Runnings a League of Their Own Remember the Titans Hoosiers it's any other true story biopic but it still works it's silly it's funny it is the ultimate underdog story I dare you not to get choked up at the last scene um, it comes out on February 26th so if you need to pick me up if you like these schmaltzy true story sports inspirational movies you'll enjoy ed of the eagle um it doesn't reinvent the wheel it just is what it is you know exactly what's going to happen the entire time and it still pays off in the end uh fun fact those are my favorite kind of movies one of the few genres that make me weep profusely and it will be one of our upcoming lists just as a heads up Okay, good. Well, it it definitely you apparently you don't weep very often. There uh, there are many many things that make me tear up. I blame it on my grandfather. There's already come from a long line of of male criers, and I'm not afraid to admit that. All right, transitioning from movies into TV, there have been a couple new shows that have premiered in the past week and two more that have returned in the last couple weeks. So we're going to hit those real quick. The first is Vinyl. By the time this episode comes out, the first two episodes will have aired on HBO. The show is executive produced by Mick Jagger and Martin Scorsese, who also directed the two-hour pilot. It is about a 1970s record industry exec in New York and stars one of my favorite actors, Bobby Cannavale. He is a record exec trying to keep his label afloat as the music industry is changing all around him. It also features Ray Romano, Olivia Wilde, Max Casella, and John Cameron Mitchell as Andy Warhol. Um, At this point, it probably goes without saying that, one, it's about New York in the 70s, two, it's about the music industry, and three, it's a Scorsese project. So there is a lot of drug use. Uh, that you can't really miss that, and Andrew Dice Clay, especially in that pilot. Um, so, Jen, what did you think of HBO's new Sunday night show, Vinyl? Oh, my God. I thought it was poetry. This is one of my absolute favorite eras in history. Um, disgusting New York City in the 70s. I love it. Um, Bobby Cannavale, like you said, is amazing. But I was really surprised at how good Ray Romano is. It's just not a role you see him in if you're used to him from Everybody Loves Raymond and Parenthood. And he's just completely in a a different realm here. And John Cameron Mitchell as Andy Warhol, as far as casting awards go, can that win something? (laughs) It's pretty spot on. It's like, that's pretty great. Oh, my God. But this is my favorite era of music. You know, desperately clinging on to the psychedelic rock, but they're trying to evolve into prog rock and punk rock and hip hop. And, oh, it was a beautiful time. Bring on the cocaine. <laughs> well, there was a lot. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay has some left over for you somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, well, first off, Bobby Cannavale is, uh, not only is he a great actor on the small screen and the big screen, but he's a great theater actor. And he is a guy 
who no matter what he's in, even if it's the terrible Annie remake, he is a guy that just, just demands your attention. He takes up the entire screen. He is an actor who seems to be acting with every fiber of his being. He is incredibly charismatic and incredibly relatable, even though the first thing you see him do in the series is go buy, a, what was it, a quarter of cocaine or something, and, mm-hmm. you know, and drinking in his car, something that I don't think a lot of people do on a regular basis, but you feel really connected to him because he is such a great actor. But you're right, Ray Romano, he, he's he's not Raymond. I mean, everybody might love him, but he's not that same character. And I, you know, good for him. I mean, he. I heard somebody else say uh, this week that when he left that show, he had enough money to never do anything again. He could he could be Jerry Seinfeld and just do a little web series about cars and coffee, but he's been doing some really interesting stuff since that show with Parenthood and now this. So good for them. Beyond that, I liked it. I, I enjoy the music scene. Uh, I love the, that element. I love that that's the focus of it. But I, it just kind of felt done before. And I don't know if it's because this is an era and a type of people that Martin Scorsese has has done a lot it just kind of felt um redundant and i don't know why it looked great the i mean it's martin scorsese it's gonna look great um the dialogue didn't do a whole lot for me it it just seemed okay we've seen this before this is good it's not great it's already been renewed for a second season so good for them but it was eh, it was all right well we'll agree to disagree well fortunately it does have a whole first season and a second season already uh, ready to go. So we'll see how it progresses. I, what I'm really interested to see is how they deal with time and how, you know, how much time does that first season take and how does the music industry change as the series progresses? I would be surprised if it's just two seasons because it's, you know, it's got such big names behind it and it didn't have very great ratings, but HBO doesn't care about ratings. I mean, that's not what HBO shows are about. Uh, because they're on premium cable. They want the recognition. They want the notoriety. So if this goes for a while, when do they start getting into hip-hop? Did you watch the second episode or no? I've not watched the second episode. Okay. Do they already start dealing with hip-hop there? Well, they there's more with the, um, you know how they were flashing back in the pilot to the black singer that he was mm-hmm. kind of developing? Yeah. That's going to come back into play. Okay. Obviously. I mean, you could tell that from the pilot. Yeah. But also, have they... Did I miss it? Did they specify a year? Because I was trying to figure out a year just from the not. stylings. No. And in the first episode, it felt like it was more later 70s because they were starting to deal with punk and um, a little bit of that glam rock. You mentioned ABBA. But then in the second episode, there was a lot of um, Lou Reed. And uh, so, and I know there's flashbacks, so t- sometimes the timeline's confusing. But I wish they would specify a year so we knew what we were exactly dealing with. Or maybe they're trying not to, so they don't have to be tied down to exact historical chronology. Right. So, all right. Well, it sounds if the cocaine-drenched music industry of the 1970s is appealing to you, vinyl airs on HBO on Sunday nights. In a completely opposite direction, uh, although there are drugs involved, the Netflix show from Judd Apatow, Love, debuted this past week. Uh, Jen, you previewed it earlier before it, it was released, and I know you were really excited about it. So why don't you give us a basic lay of the land in terms of what love is? That, <laughs> the, the show, what a horrible not the emotion. Question. Yeah. Um, it's basically the story of two people's lives. The the male lead, God, I can't think of his name already. Gus. Gus, yes. He is a tutor, an onset tutor for uh, young actors, played by... Iris Apatow, Judd's daughter. The girl lead, Gillian Jacobs from Community, she plays a producer at a serious-style radio talk show. And their two of their lives start to intersect. And basically, she's not a great person, and he is a great person. And it's just kind of a glimpse into what happens um, when two people like that are attracted to each other. Is that a pretty basic overview but an overview nonetheless yeah okay so what did you think i watched the whole thing yesterday <laughs> you called I, off i think you called off work to watch it didn't you well not for that reason but i did take the day off but um yeah it was it's fantastic i loved every second of it they, they have some really cool supporting cast members um brett gelman 
Carrie Kenny, Charlene Lee, Tracy Toms, and some really cool guest stars like Twitch. I know you know who that is. I, yeah, and, I haven't uh, seen Twitch yet. Yeah. Andy Dick. And I don't know, the writing is just is really interesting to see a bad person try really hard to not be bad because she sees how much better her life would be if she just tried to be a better person. And also sometimes when with this kind of love story, you know, like the good guy's attracted to the bad girl, he starts to take on some bad qualities to impress her. And um, he just doesn't do that. And he kind of makes her a better person without even trying, even though he keeps failing. (laughs) And uh, for the, for instance, there's this one situation where he takes her to something that he's really excited about and she has no interest in. But they have this really interesting conversation about how, you know, even though it really interests, it, it, it's really interesting to him, so she should give it a chance. But her point is, is just because you're into it doesn't mean that you can provoke her reaction to it. And they just have these really interesting conversations like that. And um, it seems like it's a cliche kind of a situational comedy but it's not and i think the dialogue and the writing and the characters are really really great yeah this is not a sitcom in any way shape or form no. <laughs> uh, you say it seems like it is but it, that is not what it is at all there i mean there's not a whole lot of laughs i mean it's it's like a judd apatow movie there's a cu- occasional laughs but it's not a it, it's much more of a character a humorous character study than it is you know big bang theory uh the first off i've got to say you completely ignored the biggest guest star. The AT&T girl plays Gus's ex-girlfriend, Natalie, but it's the girl from the AT&T commercials. No? Nothing? I I don't have... I, want, I stream everything, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> His girlfriend, the girl who plays Yeah, I just Natalie, don't know the commercial that you're referring to. They've She's been like mm-hmm. the flow of AT&T no. for like no. five years. Okay, no. anyway... Um, Believe it or not, Jen, I actually kind of liked What? I feel like my world's upside down right now. (laughs) I had no qualms about you liking this at all. Like I was like, there's no way he's going to like this show. Well, you know, we always talk about, you you always say that I don't like shows about bad people. I don't, first off, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think, I mean, I think it's, it's true in a lot of ways, but I think that's often the byproduct. It's not the reason. I, I think it's true that I often don't like shows about bad people, but it's not because it's bad people. It's just that's part of the, the bigger picture. Um, yes, Gillian Jacobs' character, Mickey, is is not a great person, but I don't think she's an awful person. And it's interesting. I've only watched the first three episodes. There's ten in this first season, and it's already been renewed for a second season as well. Um, the first episode was okay. I mean, it's the first episode of a lot of series um, is them trying to set the stage and you get to know everything so that the rest of the season can can really deliver. Then in the second se- the second episode, Mickey and Gus meet. And then in the third episode, they really don't interact at all. I thought the first episode was okay. I thought the third episode was, was fine. You got to know them a little better. But I loved the second episode when they were together. These people, these characters who are so different have such great chemistry and that's a tribute to Paul Rust who plays Gus and Gillian Jacobs. They were really, really uh, great together. Great on, on screen chemistry. And I'll be honest with you. I might be a little bit in love with Mickey. Like I, I, I really enjoyed that character. That's someone that I would want to date because she's, she's just got some fire to her and I really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm going to stick with this one despite everything that you thought. I actually enjoyed it. No, I'm I'm thrilled to hear it. Mickey gets more fascinating over the season. Um, I feel like when she's introduced, she could be a little bit irritating. But as you start to understand her and realize how much Gillian is giving it, like it's she's really, really spectacular in this. And I think you're going to fall more in love with her the more you realize where she's coming from. And I've never seen Paul Rust before, but he's he's great. He was in Inglorious Bastards. Oh uh, yeah, and okay. uh, he's the co-writer for Pee Wee's Big Holiday, which is coming out on Netflix later this year. So there's that. Yeah, he's great, but um, the the supporting cast really really wins me over too. I think there's a lot of bit parts that are really great too. Well, cool. All right, uh, going from Netflix to Hulu, another streaming service, a show 
that was that had its first episode released this week is 112263, another show that we talked about before. The difference between Hulu shows and Netflix shows is Netflix releases the entire season all at once. Hulu does it more like traditional TV, where it's one episode a week. So we've seen the first episode of 112263, which, as we said before, is a Stephen King and J.J. Abrams produced thriller based on the massive Stephen King tome of the same name, which I have on a shelf and have never read because I'm too intimidated by it. Jen has read it. It is basically about a uh, an English teacher played by James Franco named Jake, who is shown a pathway back to, what's that, what, is it 1959? Is that the year he goes back to, or 1960? Yeah. And, and he's told that he has to stop the Kennedy assassination. And we see him trying to wrestle with what that means, how can he do that. Um, Jen, first off, before we get into how, you know, what we thought of it, how close is this first episode to the book? Um, It's pretty close. I feel like without being redundant, you know that Stephen King writes three times as much (laughs) as you would need. So <laughs> yes. what they showed in 45 minutes is probably like five chapters, but yeah. I, I think they're doing a really good job, especially with the casting. Like when I first heard James Franco, I was like, really? But he, he's doing a good job. But Chris Cooper, he's, he's the, he's the good one. Yeah. He's, he plays Al, who is a diner owner, who is the one who shows James Franco the portal, so to speak, I don't know what the right word is, back uh, into the past and who convinces him to go and try to stop the Kennedy assassination. I I really enjoyed this. I was kind of taken by it and, and trying to piece together the mythology of the time travel, whether it's Back to the Future or Doctor Who or, or whatever, you've got to figure out the mythology of how time travel works in each property and trying to figure that out and how things overlap. And it's really interesting to do this thing when Anytime Jake, the character, is getting close to changing the future, the past retaliates against him to try to stop him. And what that makes it really, really kind of fascinating that even though as of now, we don't have like a big bad other than whoever it is, maybe Lee Harvey Oswald, maybe not, whoever it is that kills Kennedy, the past is trying to stop. So the past is an antagonist to James Franco's character. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, I think... And I don't watch a lot of Hulu originals, um, the mini project, but that was kind of... Yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, and I, I did watch Casual, which you wouldn't like because it's about despicable people. No. But I think... I tried to watch and I couldn't do but it. But I think as far as... Um, I think if they keep producing things like this, then they're going to be a real contender in this game. Because I feel like I felt like it, it won on every level. Yeah, I, I'm really excited. And we've, like we said, we've only seen one episode, which I think was an hour and a half. Uh, yeah. So it's, it was a little longer than normal, but you can do that on streaming. And then we saw a little bit of Josh Dumel as one of the characters in the past. So we'll see him. It's also got Cherry Jones, T.R. Knight coming up in future episodes. So it's... Um, he was in the pilot uh, like for a split second. Yeah, uh, who was? T.R. Knight. Oh, I didn't even notice. He's the uh, husband of the girl he meets and he called her name and escorted her into the car. Oh, right. I didn't even know that was him. Meets him at, uh, meets her at like a bus stop or something, doesn't he? Yeah, I think in a park. Park, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talked about books and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. I didn't rec- I didn't even see him on that. So, cool. So, we're going to look forward to that one. Uh, if this sounds like something you would enjoy, check it out on Hulu. Uh, and uh, it's J.J. Abrams, so it can't be, you know, it's usually not going to disappoint. All right. So, Jen, there's a couple uh, other shows that you watch that I do not that have returned and one I think you were pretty excited about, right? Both. Both. Well, but one specifically that you were, like, basically jumping up and down. Well, I just briefly, The Walking Dead is six and a half seasons in. So at that point, you're like, what's going to happen now? But for the mid-season premiere, it was literally the best episode of the series thus far. And about 20 minutes in, I stood up. And just stared at the TV and didn't move for the rest of the episode because I couldn't breathe. Um, it was ridiculous. It was so gratifying. And I just kind of wanted to give a shout out like props for six and a half seasons in to pull something like that off. Um, just applause all around. 
Well, and I think one of the one of the knocks on The Walking Dead, and again, I don't watch it, so that's just coming from what I hear from other people that do. One of the knocks on the show is is that they do premieres and finales really well, and the stuff in between is often not up to that level. So when you break up the season into two, so that's really four episodes that are usually really, really strong, and everything else is kind of hit or miss. Is this a level with this premiere that you think they can use as a benchmark and replicate for the rest of the back half of this season? I think so. I think what they're really good at is, um, and what people sometimes complain about are these one-off episodes where it's just about one character. And those are the episodes that I really like because I don't think the show is about story. It's about characters and, you know, obviously zombies are just a byproduct, but it's about people and what happens to them at the end of the world. And, you know, sometimes you need an episode to figure out why this guy is this way. So, yes, for premieres and finales, everything comes to a head. But the finale of the first half of the season was, it was still like a setup. It was basically a setup for this episode. So even though that's the pattern that they've had in the past, everything I've heard from the actors and Talking Dead and everything said it's just a jumping off point and it's just going to escalate from here. Very cool. All right. Well, congratulations on that. I know you and my brother <laughs> will both be excited. Yes. Okay. So the other show you were excited about coming back was the Breaking Bad spinoff, Better Call Saul. Yeah. Better Call Saul has kind of exceeded all expectations because, I mean, you come up with a sequel or a prequel to one of the best shows of all time, you better be able to hold your own marbles. And so they took this character who was really irrelevant for most of the series and then turned him into his backstory and it's fascinating because in the prequel he's not Saul Goodman yet he's Jimmy McGill and you're kind of starting to watch him as he descends into Saul Goodman so it's it's kind of like his breaking bad when he's choosing to go bad but we're far from there now and just to see his backstory um it's really really interesting do you watch that yeah another I do not another another show and I didn't watch breaking bad either I remember I texted you a couple weeks oh, ago. Yeah, that I, I chose have to ignore entire, that. Yeah, I have all five seasons of Breaking Bad on DVD still in the wrapping, and I haven't unwrapped them yet because it's just such a big commitment to get into. But eventually I will, and I'll come back to Better Call Saul because Bob Odenkirk is, I mean, he's one of the greats uh, in terms of underserved character actors because there's never anything that he's ever done that has not been fantastic he is he is amazing um and you know him as a comedian and and like we were saying about ray romano you know they just come out of nowhere as these known comedians and do things completely out of their realm and just knock it out of the park it's almost obnoxious um but him and this other guy jonathan banks who was on breaking bad he is also a character in better call saul the same character and uh, for god's sake someone give this guy an emmy already all right, we're going to close out this episode of the show with Show and Tell, which is kind of poorly named because it's a podcast and we can't show you anything. However, we do always include the video links in our show notes so you can get those. But for these purposes, we are going to have you listen to something, and we will tell you why this is something you should know more about. So, Jen, why don't you start us off with your show and tell of the week? Um, I'm going to revert to another one of my loves, which is stand-up comedy. Um, I will be writing a profile piece on Chris Rock this week for his Oscar-hosting abilities. He's my favorite comedian of all time. In the meantime, Netflix has like, kind of uh, jumped into this business of promoting stand-up comedians' specials. So there's a whole list of specials on Netflix for comedians that um, used to really go to HBO or Comedy Central, but Netflix is a great home for them. So two of them have stood out lately, I just wanted to mention, and that's Anthony Jeselnik, Thoughts and Prayers, and John Mulaney, The Comeback Kid. I grew up Catholic. I don't go to church anymore, but I went on Christmas Eve with my parents, because you know how you lie to your parents. So we go into the church, and I was like, I got this under control. And then I got schooled because they introduced a bunch of new shit. No, I was going through Mass, and I was batting like 400. And then in the middle of Mass, the priest said, Peace be with you. And everyone said, And with your spirit. 
And I was like the one pre-Y2K asshole going, and also with you. What? Huh? What? Huh? What? When? Okay, so John Mulaney, he had a really, really successful Fox TV show uh, in the past, if I remember correctly, right? It ran for like, what, two episodes before it got canceled? It was not successful. Uh, John Mulaney is the the writer on SNL behind Stefan. He and Seth Meyers and um, Bill Hader came up with that character. So he's a great writer. And he's a really good stand-up comedian. And I think his TV show is just trash, just despite <laughs> the, the team behind it and the stars. It was just bad writing. So I don't know what happened there, but don't judge him on that because he's a great comedian. And Can this special is uh, pretty remarkable. Will it shock you if I tell you that I never thought Stefan was funny? No, not even a little bit. Okay. I don't I didn't get it. Like I just it wasn't that I like didn't find it funny, it was that I didn't understand what was supposed to be funny about it. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me in the least. Okay. Well something that I do find quite humorous is a show that we don't talk about very much because Jen, you don't watch it, but it can it consistently exceeds expectations in terms of the genre that it's in, and that is Marvel's Agent Carter. So many times when you see these superhero TV shows, whether it's Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Supergirl on CBS or the shows in the Arrowverse, Arrow, The Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow, they are fairly dark and depressive, and I wrote an article at the beginning of Supergirl talking about how that kind of breaks the mold, but it's still not the funny show that Agent Carter is. The dialogue on Agent Carter is great. Peggy Carter is a character from the original Captain America movie played by Haley Atwell, who was a post-World War II spy in an organization um, that I think becomes S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know the history of S.H.I.E.L.D. enough, but she basically is assisted by um, Howard Stark's butler, Edwin Jarvis, who became the inspiration for Iron Man's Jarvis artificial intelligence system, played by James Darcy. And Haley Atwell and James Darcy back and forth. The dialogue on this show is great. It's funny. The action is not superhero-y. They're not superheroes. She's just a really badass British spy. And he's a British butler, and it's just really, really good. So if you if you enjoy that kind of stuff, if you like some fun adventures, check out Marvel's Agent Carter. It, it only does short seasons. It's on its second season. It's not very highly rated, so I don't know if it'll be back for a third, but it's something that more people need to watch because it's, it's really, really a, a fun show. So here's a clip from Marvel's Agent Carter. I trust you've operated a tranquilizer rifle before? I can't say that I have. Why on earth have you? On occasion, wrangling Mr. Stark's animal preserve requires a ruthless hand. Not the flamingo. The koala. Its adorable appearance belies a vile temperament. Mm. What's your feelings on committing a felony, Mr. Jarvis? In this case, decidedly four. Do you uh, have anything to say about Agent Carter? I've never watched it. No, one of my local radio heroes, Ralph Garman, praises it all the time. So I always hear how good it is. It just never made it onto my spreadsheet. All right, but that's all we have for this regular episode of Some Like It Pop. Um, we'll be back on Friday with our Oscars episode. Until then, Jen, why don't you take us out? I am Eponine Q on Twitter. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And Matt is at B-W-W Matt. You can find both of us on Broadway World writing about all of our favorite obsessions. And until next time, dear frozen yogurt, you are the celery of desserts. Be ice cream or be nothing. Zero stars. Ron Swanson. <laughs> well, of course, I know what that, that is from. <laughs> Very good. Thanks for checking out this episode of Broadway World Some Like It Pop Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can now get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, listen, and share, so that all of your loved ones will be able to experience the sheer, unadulterated whimsy that is Some Like It Pop. Special thanks to James Marino of Broadway Radio and Patrick Hines of the Theater People Podcast. We will be back on Friday, February 26th for our special Oscars mini-episode. So until next time, we'll see you around the Broadway world. <laughs>